Oh, what a glorious day. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 5? And we are going to continue our ongoing saga through the book of Ephesians. Remember as we take a look, Ephesians has an outline that we're, that we're following. That outline is that the first three chapters laid out for us the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. The truth, everything that we need is found in Him. In Him. In our relationship with Him. And the first three chapters of Ephesians establish that for us. But then, chapter 4 begins with now, now what? Since that's true, what do we do now? So the second division in the book of Ephesians is to walk. First we see the wealth, then we see the walk. He called us to walk in unity in chapter 4. Second half of chapter 4, he calls us to walk in purity. And that concept continues this morning all the way through uh, uh, verse verse 18 in chapter 5. Walking in purity. After we we walk in purity, he's going to call us to walk in harmony. And then he's going to lay out for us our warfare. Wealth, walk, warfare that we're prepared to to then fight the battles of life that lay out in front of us anybody think there's not any battles in life that are laying in front of us i don't know about you but i I got up on friday and i'm i'm uh, i come come here to the church and i turn on my computer and pops up on uh, on the website that there had been an earthquake in japan and a tsunami to follow Prior to that, the evening before, I had been watching the news and looking at all the different countries that are on the brink of civil war. Quite a few of them, isn't there? Isn't it funny how many of those are surrounding Israel? Interesting, isn't it? And I'm reminded in in the Gospel of Luke and also in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord lays out for us that these were things that signified for you and I what's called in the Bible as the beginning of birth pangs. The Lord says, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't let it get you all wrapped around the axle, but that's a Jackie paraphrase. But rather, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. But the scripture also indicates for us, and there's no reason why we should think that we are immune, that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We look around in our world today and we see that our world is tolerant of everything except Bible-believing Christians. It's okay if you're a Christian and you don't believe in the Bible and you don't follow Jesus. Then it's okay. I don't know why you call yourself a Christian, but they'll be accepting of that because you're accepting tolerant of all types of sin. And you say it's okay and everybody's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Let's all just ignore the storm that's brewing. It'll be all right. But Jesus has a better way. He lays out for us the truth. And the truth is, we don't have anything to be afraid of. God is in control. He is still on the throne. And He has a plan. And His plan will be accomplished. We can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what does He tell us to hold on to? Hold on to the wealth that you have in Christ. Not into the fear of where gas prices are going to go. You have any control over that? Nope. Unless you got an oil rig in the, in the back 40 somewhere, I don't know how you're going to help yourself out on that. The gas prices will be what they are. You have anything you can do about the wars and rumors of wars all around the world? Nothing I can do about that. Jesus said, these things, when you see them, When you see these things begin to occur, remember beforehand, I told you, it was going to come down to these things. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. Put our faith and trust in him. He's going to carry us through. But it's very exciting times. It's very exciting times. Folks, I don't know if you realize this, but Ezekiel chapter 
38 and 39 lay out for us a, a concept of an, an invasion uh, I believe is still going to occur. Others believe it has already happened, but I think it's still on the horizon. It's called the Gog-Magog invasion. Funny thing is, all those countries who are fighting civil war right now are all the countries listed in the Bible that will side with this giant we call Russia today who will then mobilize and, and go after Israel. And when they go after Israel, Israel is not going to be able to respond. They're going to be caught with, without the ability to defend themselves. And Ezekiel says God will defend them. The things that Ezekiel talks about are amazing. You, you have opportunity. I encourage you to take a look at them. But the, the point being, at any moment, we could be watching prophecy fulfilled on the TV. Right before our eyes. Just like God said it would be. We want to hold on to the wealth that we have in him. And if this is the time we live in, and it seems to be, doesn't it? If life is exciting and things are happening and, and we're looking on the horizon wondering, what's tomorrow hold for me? He wants us to walk. He wants us to walk. And the scripture talks about that phrase, to walk. It means to have the manner of your life be after something or someone else. So when we walk after Jesus Christ, it's the manner of our life following Him. He says, in, in lieu of the wealth, in lieu of the incredible things that we have in Christ Jesus, so walk. Walk, He says. Walk, He says. Chapter 5, verse 1, is important for us to grab a hold on and say, yes, this is who I want to be in these times, in this world, the way things are going right now. Listen, He says, therefore, be imitators of God... As dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. In these times, in these days, in light of the world around you, I want you to walk in love. Walk in love. He says... In that, walking in love, he gives us three things that he wants us to focus on. One of those is, be imitators of God. Why would he tell us that? Why would he say, be imitators of God? What is, what is God? 1 John chapter 4, guys, if you, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at about verse 7. Here's what the scripture lays out for us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God is love. Imitate, be imitators of God as dear children. You remember when your children were younger, for those of you who have kids, and you turn around, you, maybe you're sitting down watching TV, and you cross your legs a certain way every time you, you're watching TV, and you look over and you see, you know, this little three-year-old on the couch trying to cross his legs like, like dad. Or you, you look at him, I used to enjoy this, when my son would, when he was little, go put on my boots. And he'd go trudging around, and it was a lot of effort for him to walk in those boots, but... He, he, liked, he wanted to wear dad's shoes. He wanted to follow in dad's steps. What we see in the scripture is, listen guys, God is the initiator of love. And he calls us to be the imitators. God initiates, we imitate. He is the initiator of love, for God is love. Isn't that what we just read? God is love. So if we're going to imitate God, that should mark our lives, shouldn't it? Isn't it interesting that Jesus would say that, that that was how we would be known? As his disciples. Not in your ability to speak Greek fluently. That's not what he said. He did not say, they will know you are my disciples because you speak Greek fluently. No. Because you have a handle on the ancient Hebrew. Nope. Because you understand all that is orthodox Christianity. Nope. He said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. 
Because you're going to look like you belong in the family. You're going to look like you belong in the family. Folks, when we turn on the news, it's real easy to get fearful. But the scripture tells us there's something that casts out fear. You know what it is? Perfect love casts out fear. That's what Peter said. Perfect love casts out fear. Peter ought to know, huh? Because there was a time in Peter's life when he stood before the fires of an enemy. And he was afraid of all the things that were happening around him. And that fear caused him to do something. What did he do? Denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And then the rooster crowed and he remembered that Jesus had told him that those things would take place. He, he understands what fear can do if we allow fear to reign. But then he would tell us, perfect love casts out fear. Love casts out fear. That we experience, imitate that love that God has given us. In this is the love of God made manifest toward us. That when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. What does the scripture tell us? 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. In John 17.33, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, that's a prayer that he prays for you and me. In case you didn't know, there's a prayer in the Bible, Jesus prays for you and me. For all those who will come to faith at the word of my disciples. That'd be us, right? What is it that he says in John 17, verse 33? He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in unity in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and listen, and have loved them as you loved me. Do you hear that? That God loves you with the same love he loves his son with. Not like, well, there's this love I have for my son, God's saying, and then you guys are just below that, you know, but you're, you're in the ballpark. That's not what he said. God loves you with the same love with which he loves his son. That you are accepted in the beloved. That's part of the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ, man. Listen, in order for you and I to be accurate imitators of, of God and walk in love, we got to understand God's love. we got to understand God's love and, and the difference between God's love and the world's love. You guys probably heard of this band. They, they, were, they played a, a while back. They're called the Beatles. Anybody ever heard of them before? The Beatles? One of the guys in the band said they were more popular than Jesus Christ. I, I don't know that's true. But they sang a song. All the world, all, all you need is love. And then what they do? They broke up. How come? Because the love that they sing about and the love of the world is... Conditional. I mean, think about it. When we're, when we're dating, when we're coming to, to be married, oftentimes questions will be asked back and forth between the husband-to-be and the, or the wife-to-be. Well, honey, you love me now, but will you love me when I get old? Will you love me if I'm sick? What if, what if, what if I don't always look like this? Do you still love me then? Why do we ask those questions? Because the love of the world has ebb and flow. That's why 50% of marriages end in divorce. I love you today. It doesn't mean I'll love you tomorrow. And the love of the world, what is it based on? The love of the world is based on your worthiness. That you are worthy of the love that I give. That's the love of this world. That's the way the love of this world is laid out for us. But... Is that the love of God? Guys, the word of God lays out for us that the love of God is unconditional. Unconditional. It's interesting because this is the book of Ephesians. Well, so, listen, the 
the bishop of the church at Ephesus, his name, you'll know him, his name was John. Uh, John the beloved apostle. The apostle of love. When John was old, he couldn't walk around no more. So the people at church, they wanted to hear a special word from John. So they'd go get him and they'd bring him in. And they'd set him up in front of the church and they'd say, John, you walked with Jesus and, and, and you talked with him and you touched him and you saw all these things about him. And, and this is a new generation. They didn't experience all that. They're hearing it from John. And they say, John, give us a word from God. And so John would, would sit there in his chair in his special little way. He would say, my little children... Love one another. Well, that's all I had to say. And then I'm sure the people would say, man, I hope they don't bring John in again tomorrow. <laughs> Next week we'll roll around and they'd bring John in and somebody would ask him again, John, John, give us a word from the Lord. We want to hear something new and exciting from the Lord. John, tell us something. Give us something from God. You're so close to him. And John would stand there and say, my little children... Love one another. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, you know, in his day, John the Apostle, he was, he was right on, but he's getting older, you know, a little senile. He doesn't know he gave that message last week. Oh, that's okay. The next week, and the next week, and the next week. Early church writings tell us that one of the elders of the church at Ephesus spoke to John about it. John, why do you always give the same message, man? We want to hear something new. John said, my little children, if you learn to love, you have done well. Fast forward time. There was a book written. John that beloved apostle. He wrote a book called Revelation. Anybody heard of that? Revelation chapter 2 begins with seven letters to seven churches. The very first church written to. You know who it is? Church at Ephesus. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say about the church at Ephesus? Man, you guys are awesome. You got a, a, a firm grasp on doctrine. You can see the people who pretend to be apostles and they're not. You understand that. You're, you're good heretic hunters. You guys do a great job of works. Man, you're doing all these incredible works. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's great that you're doing all that. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ himself says, I have this against you. What? You have left your first love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells me that if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. So though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and understand all mysteries, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. So, when Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. He wants us to bear a family resemblance to God, and God is love. So we need to walk in love. We need to be, we need to be that. We need to be those imitators of God. But not only does he call us to imitate, he lays out for us in that concept of imitation. Listen, he lays out for us in Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, be ye perfect as I am perfect. What's that sound like? Imitate me. Isn't that what it sounds like? God says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. So imitate me. He says in 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does that sound like? Imitate me. Follow. Come on, come on, little children, I love you. Come on, follow me. Follow me. God is love. He calls us to things. 
He calls us in Ephesians 4.32. We just read that last week. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive like him. Be complete like him. Be set apart like him. Bear a family resemblance. Stories been told about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was an incredible warrior. And he discovered in the midst of the time when, in which he was taking over the known world, he discovered that there was another guy in his army named Alexander. Only this guy was a dirtbag. He was a coward. He wouldn't fight. He would hide. He was, he was just a, a cowardly, no good soldier in his army. And he didn't want to have a cowardly, no good soldier in his army. So you know what he did? He went to that guy and he said, listen, you need to do one of two things. Change your name or change your character. Acts chapter 11, it says, And they began to be called Christians in Antioch. Do you bear the character of the one you claim to follow? Do you walk in love? Are you imitating God? Or are you imitating the world? We can't have it both ways. Are we willing to imitate God as dear children? That word, by the way, for dear children, it's beloved. That God greatly loves us. But okay, we're imitating the Father we see in verse, in verse 1. In verse 2, he calls us to emulate our Savior. Emulate our Savior. Imitate the Father emulate the savior and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma emulate the savior do you walk like Jesus the bible tells in 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 he who says He abides in Christ, ought also to walk as he walked. Do we walk emulating our Savior? Listen, when folks look at the church and they say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. That's a slam against the body of Christ, the church. That means, unfortunately, the body of Christ doesn't look like Jesus Christ. Or they would say, you know what? We don't follow Christ. I don't believe. I'm not into that. But instead, they don't believe in the people who claim to follow him. In the hypocrisy that's our lives sometimes. We're called to imitate God, to to step in his steps, to, to be loved, to walk in love like Jesus did. Well, how is the love of Jesus shown to us? Guys, the love of Jesus is shown to us in the cross. Unconditional love is shown to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when you were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? Despite worth, your worthiness or mine didn't matter. Because God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. He gave. The cross shows the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Even more than that, turn with me to the book of Romans. Just where you're sitting at, just turn to the left. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means, in short, nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
No matter what your life looks like, no matter what you've been through, no matter how many times you might look at your life and say, God, where were you when? The Bible says nothing separates you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing separates you from the love of God. It has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done. God loves you. It's his nature. But Jackie, you don't know what, what happened to me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's, what's gone on. It doesn't matter. God loves you. You can never do anything to stop God from loving you. You can do something to not be saved. You can never do anything that will stop God from loving you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son unconditional love from the cross, expressed to you and I in the cross. Ephesians would tell us in the chapter previously that we would know the length, width, depth, and breadth of the love of Jesus Christ, which is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice that he made. We see his love first being sacrificial. He gave himself for us. Then we see it being forgiving. As the nails were driven in his hands. As the whip was dragged across his back. What does the scripture tell us Jesus said? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. As he was on the cross, on each side of him were two thieves. And one of those thieves called out to him, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord forgave him his sin, said, today you will be with me in paradise. The love of God is forgiving. It's forgiving. Nothing separates you from the love. He was willing to pay any price. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ does not purge you from, does not cleanse you from. It does a work. We can trust in the love of Jesus Christ to be forgiving. Then the scripture tells us, as we emulate Christ, that his offering was a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Sweet-smelling sacrifices are listed for us in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, 13, 17, chapter 2, verse 9. In short, here are the sweet-smelling sacrifices. The burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering. The burnt offering displays for us Christ's complete and utter devotion. The meal offering speaks of His perfect character. The peace offering speaks of Him making peace. Between sinners and God. Well, it was expressed to us like this. A few days before the crucifixion, Mary broke a, a, Mary of Magdalene broke a, an alabaster jar. Sweet smelling perfume. And uh, she anointed it on the Savior. The one word that we have from Judas, he, he begins to complain that it wasn't sold and given to the poor because he used to steal money out of the purses. But, but he says, the Lord says, what she has done will not be taken away for her. The poor you have with you always, but me you don't have with you always. She has anointed me for my burial. The spikenard that she anointed him with was this spikenard that would, that would last for two, three weeks. It was, it was so intense, the smell, this, this beautiful smell from this plant that was ground into this oil that was poured out on our Lord and Savior. So much so that on the day he was crucified, when he was flayed, when his skin on his back was stripped from him and he was nailed to the cross, had you been standing at the foot of the cross... You would have had an object lesson on what a sweet-smelling sacrifice is. Because your eyes would not tell you what it was your sense of smell was saying. Sweet-smelling aroma. As God made peace with you and I. 
emulate Jesus Christ. Imitate God the Father. God is love. Jesus expressed that love in the sacrificial giving of himself on the cross. But there's more, guys. There's more. He wants us also to influence our brother. Listen. Scripture goes on. Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. As the Lord begins to speak to us, He says, Now here is what imitating the world looks like. Here is what walking in the world is like. This is the antithesis of God. This is selfish living. Being absorbed in self. Paul groups together these ideas as sexual sin, indicating that none of these are fitting for the saints and that they should not even be named among God's people. The question this morning is, who are you imitating? God or the world? Whose footsteps are you walking in? He begins by talking about sins of passion, fornication. The the Greek word is pornea. It's all sexual immorality. Listed out in the Bible a number of different ways. Anything sexually immoral, all of it. All of it, under the word pornea, uncleanness, any immoral acts. And then he says, covetousness. Covetousness, that doesn't seem like a, a sensual sin. Covetousness. Covetousness is uncontrolled appetite. An uncontrolled appetite. Insatiable, cannot be filled. I want what I want and I want it now. I want who I want and I want it now. I want this, I want that. I want him, I want her. I want, I want, I want. It's selfishness. And it's a, it's a sensual sin. It's a, it's a world's claim for here is, here's what's love. Well, what you want. Who you want. Be with who you want. Have who you want. It's self-absorbed. It's self-absorbed. He said, as we look at this, as the Lord lays it out for us, he says, listen, don't let this even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. As is fitting for the saints. Listen, he doesn't say avoid these things so you can be a saint. He says, because you are a saint. Live in a manner fitting a saint. If you say you abide in him, you ought to walk like he walked. All forms of sexual immorality is out. Well, usually when we say that in church, most often we think of homosexuality, which in reality is sexual immorality, and the Bible very clearly defines it as sin. So is anything outside of marriage. Who instituted marriage? State of California? No. God. The first marriage ceremony ever done, still done the same way today. The father brings the bride to the groom. Just as God the father brought Eve to Adam. The ceremony that we speak as we do a marriage ceremony comes straight out of the pages of Genesis. It's the Lord's commandment that there is a commitment for life. And in that commitment for life, you can enjoy, express all that God intended within marriage. And that includes sexual intimacy. What's the world do with it? It redefines it and says that's what love is. What happened in the 60s? We have free love, right? Love in, love the one you're with. Love anybody. Love whoever. Love ends. Was it love? Was it self-sacrificing? Was it unconditional? Was it eternal? It wasn't. 
So they bought into this system. In the 60s, I actually have a friend, maybe I should say acquaintance, who was in a, in a, in a, I want to, I was going to say a coven. That's not right. That's what witches are in. Commune. Ah, thanks. She was in a, she had this whole hippie commune she lived in and actually raised a daughter up from that. She has no idea who the father is. And coming out of that system, you have this disillusionment because I thought love was going to answer all my problems. Right? Wasn't it? The whole world was going to change. Did the world change? It didn't. Why? Because that's not love. It's not love. So you have a disillusionment, a casting off that concept, and a sexual revolution, and, 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 and everything is emptiness. And we see what Solomon said as, as he found himself in a place where he was disobedient to the Word of God. And that's where the world is today. When you speak of love, that's what people think. They think these very things that, that we just read. Listen, understand, if you call yourself a saint, it's not okay to live together. There's no such thing as we're married in God's eyes. You're married in God's eyes when you have a ceremony in God's eyes. When you make a commitment before the Lord. If we're living a life of sexual immorality, regularly, Participating in sex outside of marriage. If we're living a life in an alternate lifestyle, that's a nice name for it these days. It's all the same. If you're a saint, you walk like God walks. If you're not, then walk like the world. Walk like the world. But change your name or change your character. He goes on then to talk about the the sins of speech. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Listen, as as we take a look at the sins of speech, he's talking about dirty stories, jokes, double entendres. The word used is the word moros. It's where we get the word... Uh, moron from it's it's <laughs> not very nice but it's that that dumb stupid things that we shouldn't say that's things that we shouldn't do things that we shouldn't be focused in why because your tongue reveals a lot about you doesn't it I want you to think about it what does your tongue reveal luke chapter 6 verse 45 a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. It's evidence of how I'm walking. How I'm talking. The Lord himself, those are Jesus' words, that's in red. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the abundance of my heart is is founded in all these uh, concepts of sexual deviancy and sin, then that's the way my talk's going to be. But if I walk in Christ, if I'm walking in love, then I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to change the way I act. I'm going to change the things I do. Why? Because I need to earn God's love? No, we already talked about that. Can you do anything to change the fact that God loves you? No, you can't. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you with an everlasting love. What we need to ask ourselves, what we need to concern ourselves with, who am I imitating? I say I'm a Christian and I follow the Lord, but if my life is marked by verses 3 and 4, is that true? Is it real? Is it really happening? Why does it matter? Well, listen, guys, in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us out of darkness and into the light. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means that you're living a life that says you haven't been touched by his grace. We... we Find ways of excusing our, our, the things that we do, the things that we know that we're not supposed to do. Am I saying our, our works earn us salvation? No, absolutely not. We are saved by faith. Putting our trust in Jesus Christ. This is a gift of God. I can't earn it. But part of coming to salvation, part of walking the walk of love with Almighty God is understanding that I'm a sinner and I must repent. And acknowledge with the Lord that he is right and I am wrong. That's it. Well, Jackie, I, I don't agree. I think it doesn't matter. I should be able to live my life any way I want to. Then you're rejecting the gift of God. Well, come on, you know... God made me this way. He'll love me this way. Yeah, he'll love you. God will never stop loving you. But that doesn't mean you'll spend eternity with him. Oh, come on. If God is love, then he won't condemn. Hmm. Scripture lays out for us that anytime we take an attribute of God and focus only on that attribute of God... We forget the rest. God is love. Absolutely true. God is also just. God is also righteous. God is also holy. God is also perfect. He's all those things. And he said, I cannot abide sin. I cannot abide sin. Folks, all God requires is that we acknowledge that we're a sinner. That's it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I Listen, guys, when I look at these scriptures, when I consider these scriptures and this idea of, of imitating the world, listen, let's just look at, the, at verse 5. He says, For this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So therefore, do not be partakers with them. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension and heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, and revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I have told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. My little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. See, all those scriptures are talking about the same thing. It's not talking about blowing it. It's not talking about a sin I have sinned. It's talking about saying, making the claim that says, this is okay. I can live the rest of my life like this. I can live the rest of my life in sexual immorality. God has forgiven me. Jesus died on the cross. It's okay. It's not okay. What does God call for? He calls for us to acknowledge what he said. God, you're right. This is sin. First, John said that the, 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 the soul who has God does not sin. What does that mean? It says that God lives inside of us. And if God lives inside of us, then I can't live in sin. If I do, God's screaming inside of me. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of this. You know you shouldn't be living like this. You know you shouldn't be doing this. But if I can live in that sin and I'm okay, John says, God's not in you. He's not there. Because you're able to, to wallow in that sin and not be convicted. The prodigal son, when he wallowed in the mud, when he was there with the pigs, what thought came to his mind? I need to go where? Back to my father's house. That's the difference between a prodigal pig and a prodigal son. A prodigal pig will always return to the wallowing in the mire. A prodigal son says, I need to go home. That's the difference. That's the difference. And that's understanding, guys, that's understanding the love of God. Listen, don't act like the church at Ephesus who said, we want a different message. We want something else. No, you need to understand the width, the length, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. Because understanding the love of God and what God gives you in his free gift, what God has poured out in your life in this free gift that he gives to us changes everything. Because the reason I live my life the way I live my life is not to earn salvation. It's not so that other people think I'm righteous. It's a response to he who loved me first. I love him. I can never not love God because of what he's done for me. I can never stop. I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm not okay. I'm not a righteous person except in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the free gift because I say to God, you're right, I can't live this way. Does that mean I never stumbled, I never fell, I never messed up? No, that's not what it means. It means I agree with you, Lord. So my life was going this way. I repent. I stopped. That's what we did last week, right? We repented. We turned around and we said, no, I'm walking toward the Lord. That's it. That's it. Acknowledging with God that what he says is true. What he says is the way we want to follow. It's what we want to do. It's what we want to have. We don't want to live our lives where our lust has become an idolatrous obsession. Listen. We don't want to live our lives where our lust has become an idolatrous obsession. Because when we do, listen, when we do, we exchange God for that obsession. That's why he says, who are idolaters? Because we've moved God out of his rightful place in our relationship with Him, we've moved God from that place and we've said, this is my God, my desire, my appetite. Guns N' Roses put out an album a while back, Appetite for Destruction. That's accurate, by the way. Because if you live your life based on your appetites, it destroys. It destroys. Listen. 
The Bible lays out that the problem is a heart problem. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, we're not sick. Ephesians chapter 2 told us we're dead. We're not sick. There's no cure. Our heart is incurable. The heart of man cannot be cured. What do we do then? We listen to what God said. Listen, guys, in the, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 11, the Lord said, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Do you understand? God says he'll do heart surgery. God says he'll change your heart. He'll change it. All I have to do is change my mind. He'll change my heart. All I have to do is say, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to esteem others as better than myself. I'm going to walk in the love of God. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to imitate my Father. I'm going to emulate my Savior. I'm going to warn my brothers, hey, you can't live your life any way you want to. I'm going to walk in that love and I want the mind of Christ to be my mind. I want to be like Him. I don't want to be conformed to the image of this world, but transformed, how? By the renewing of my mind. Transformed by the renewing of my mind. i got to change my mind. i got to say, God, what you say in your word is right. What you say, listen, but... but but then what do I do? I don't know how to do it. I don't know how, to, I don't know. I, guys, we can't. We can't do it. The flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? We can't overcome the, the frailties, the, the struggles that we have. So, so when we look at that, when we understand it, we got to realize that he said in Ezekiel 11, I will give them one heart. I will give them a new spirit. The Bible indicates for us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He lives in me. The Holy Spirit moves into my life and the love of God is poured into my life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives me all of that. All I have to do with my mind is say, that's right. Guys, that's why it's so important when people, when people come and they say, it doesn't matter how I live. It's not true. I have to acknowledge with God that he's right. You're right, Lord. This is how I should live. Now, he gives me the gift of the Spirit to enable me to walk the walk he's called me to walk. He didn't expect me to do it on my own. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I give you the Spirit. We put our trust in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, guys, the Holy Spirit is going to equip us to be, to do all the things that God's called us to do. He's going to do that perfect work. We just agree. We acknowledge with Him. Walking in love beautifully changes us from the old life to the new. Jesus was never obsessed with lust. He never uttered an obscenity. There was no foolish talking or coarse jesting. No sly, off-color humor or vulgarities. No laughter at what ought not to be laughed at. Sounds a bit much? That's because we're children of this age. But a godly walk is possible, for we have His Spirit that is just like Him. If we walk in love, we won't disobey God or injure man. For the scripture declares in Matthew 22, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all the law. That includes what we just read. We can focus on all these things we think we need to do. All these things we think we want to do. But guys, the bottom line is we need to focus on falling in love with God. And it changes everything. 
It changes it all. Our life should be drastically different from how it was. And it can be. We just need not make excuses for ourselves anymore. Walk in the love of God. Imitate Him. Emulate the Savior. In closing, I just want to read from John chapter 14. Listen to what Jesus says. And this is our hope this morning. Listen. I will pray the Father. And He will give you another helper. And He will abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see Him or know Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. For I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps Him, It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I spoke to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God. As we look in your word and as we understand the importance of us realizing that we need to walk in love, to imitate the Father. We have to come to a place of repentance, of acknowledging that you're right. Turning from that life. Not to earn salvation, but because we are saved. Not to become a saint, but because we are a saint. Because we want to love you for the love that you've given to me. Lord God, we want to understand, to realize the importance of this truth, walking in love. That our church should be known as a church that walks in love, that loves one another, that loves God. But we need, to, we need to do some house cleaning. We need to make some changes. We need to, to turn. To draw near unto you, Lord, as you draw near unto us. Father, we need you to do a work within us. God, we have the power of your Holy Spirit. All of us who have trusted you, your spirit is with us to guide us, to lead us, to show us the way. Father, may we not grieve the spirit, ignore the draw of the spirit. When the spirit speaks to us, may we be obedient. May we be obedient, God, as you call us to walk in purity. May we remember whose name we are called by. And God, may you do a work where you change our character or we change our name. How do we change our character? We submit ourselves to you. We come to you sweetly broken. We come to you with an attitude that says, you are God and you love me. You have a plan for me and a purpose for me. And I was darkness, but you are light. I thought I knew what love was, but I never understood until I known your love. Unconditional, everlasting love. Father, cause us to press in, to draw near. Cause us to be transformed, metamorphosized, 
by the renewing of our mind, that we would agree with Scripture, sin is sin, and it's not okay for me to walk in it. That I would choose to imitate my Father. That I would choose to emulate my Savior. That I would warn my brother that I would walk in love. Father, we ask that you might do a mighty work in our hearts in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning and as the worship team comes up to close us out in a, in a word of worship, I want to invite anybody this morning, anybody who's struggling, hurting, needs to call on the name of the Lord, we have opportunity for you to come up in prayer. The prayer counselors will be spread around the room. We'd love to pray with you, but you don't have to come to us. Altar's here. You can come to it. You can just come and, and, and call upon the name of the Lord. You can do it from where you're sitting. God will hear you. But I just would uh, encourage you. Call upon the name of the Lord. Let God do the work He wants to do in your life. Walk out those doors saying goodbye to all that junk. And hello to everything that God has for you. Let God change you from the inside out. Amen?